It's the next level. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. All those moments will be lost. In time, like <clears throat> tears in rain, time to die. start this week's episode just wanted to take a moment to remember an actor who gave us many amazing roles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Smallville, Sin City Kingdom Hearts 3 Nighthawks, Ladyhawk The Hitcher, Blind Fury Batman Begins Split Second Hobo with a Shotgun and obviously Blade Runner at the age of 75, Rucker Hauer passed away on July 19th, 2019. Ironically, or maybe coincidentally, in the film Blade Runner, the character that Rucker Hauer played, Roy Batty, also passed away, or died, at the end of the film, which took place in the year 2019. Before this show goes on, we remember... Rucker Hauer. Now on with the show. Coming to you, Undead, from Studio Zero and the Next Level Podcast Network. It's your favorite ghost host with the most, and yes, I stole that from Rob Zombie. 
Postmortem Paul, bringing to you the one and only What What Lurks Lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And this week, it's episode 50, halfway to 100. No, I'm not stopping at 100, but, you know, it's halfway to 100. It's pretty cool. Come on, let's celebrate. Kick some ass. Woo! All right, whatever. Um, yes, episode 50, featuring a sequel. The review of the week is a sequel by name only to a classic Canadian cult hit. Some would call it a dud. I personally love the movie. But anyways, this week, we're doing the sequel to the original Prom Night. Yes, this week it is Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2 from 1987. Oh, but first. First, I have to do something. I wanted to make sure I did this like early in the episode because it's something that meant a lot to me. I need to give a shout-out, personal thanks, to two people. Uh, my friends Davey and Brandon. And the reason why, um, earlier this past week, Davey showed up with like a garbage bag filled with VHS tapes. I was very happy. Um, (laughs) Many of you know I, like most horror movie fanatics, we're kind of hoarders, we're collectors, whatever, and I personally like collecting VHS tapes. I think I like it. I was thinking about this the other day. I think the reason why I like collecting VHS tapes so much, not only for the nostalgic sound of, you know, putting the tape in, pressing play, and all those nice sounds that come from a VCR... But I think it's also the fact of, like, I get to basically keep buying movies. Which I know sounds really stupid, but in my own hoarder little way, I like buying movies. And I have so many on DVD and Blu-ray now, it actually gets hard trying to figure out what movie I want to buy next. Where VHS, because I sold so many of my VHSs, like, years ago, it's kind of cool because now I can buy them again. So it... It's kind of twisted. But anyways, yeah, Davey showed up with a garbage bag filled with VHS tapes. Uh, He had um, picked up a bunch of them. Uh, He was uh, visiting people in Chicago and went to a bunch of thrift stores and was sending me photos. He's like, what movies do you want? I'm like, okay, I'll take that one and that one and that one. And anyways, he uh, finally got around to bringing the tapes over and they're awesome. It's so nice to have so many of these movies back on VHS, you know, and Eminem Brandon supplied a few as well. Uh, the original Mortal Kombat movie, which I am actually looking forward to watching again, and uh, Vampire Hunter D um, Bloodlines. So I'm looking forward to watching that because I haven't seen that one in a long time either. So, anyways, I wanted to give a personal shout out to both of those guys. Uh, much love from me. Thank you guys for the uh, the gifts. And, uh, I mean, not to mention, I mean, over the past two weeks since last episode, I've been watching like a shit ton of movies. Uh, I even watched the, you know, the VHS version of the matrix because, you know, I had to, I don't know why, but I mean, I, I've watched other movies. I, I watched Navy SEALs the other night. Now, I mean, come on. Navy SEALs is like not the best movie, but for some reason, it's like a one of those guilty pleasures for me. But, I mean, it's not a good movie. I mean, it's the whole typical good guy versus bad guy. The Americans versus the Middle East. It's like, 
yeah, okay, we, we, we get it, you know, whatever. And it's the whole, oh, they've got missiles, we have to stop them. It's like, yeah, well, you have missiles too. I mean, nobody's trying to stop you. But anyways, you get my point. It, it, it's one of those cheesy, like, late 80s, early 90s, like, action flicks. It does all the things it's supposed to do. I watched that. I watched Last night I watched Poltergeist 3. Never realized, you know, I, I grew up with that movie as a kid and whatnot, and I never realized how many fucking times they say the name Carol Ann in that movie. There's at one point, I think there's like a whole two-minute segment where like Donna has just like, you know, come from the other side. She's crept out of that body or whatever, and she just keeps saying, Carol Ann, Carol Ann. It goes on for like two minutes. I'm like, fuck, dialogue must have been super easy to make for this movie. But anyways, I don't know. It, it's again, it's one of those things. I I love the Poltergeist films, the original three. Anyways, I haven't watched the remake. I have no intention of ever watching it. Uh, for me, I I don't understand why you remake Poltergeist. The original stands up and still scares the shit out of everybody to like this very fucking day. So unnecessary remake. I probably if I ever watch it, it's gonna be one of those things where it just happens to be on the TV and I just happen to stumble on it. Um, also watched Never Ending Story because I had to. Um, Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. Nicolas Cage film. That's a fucking good movie, man. Brian De Palma film. And I love the whole POV idea of, like, you know, this one assassination attempt and how everybody saw it. Like, you know, the, the different characters of the, of the the movie and whatnot. And not to mention, I, I probably butcher her last name, but Carla Gugino. Oh, my God. She's fucking hot in that movie. I'm not going to lie. And then, you know, when you want to watch a stupid movie, you watch The Lost World Jurassic Park 2. Um, because, yeah, <laughs> the movie's bad. I love it, though. I don't know. I have this weird thing with the Jurassic Park movies. I know some of them are bad. I don't care. I just like them. Um, and then, of course, I watched this week's uh, Lurker's Recommendation. Which, okay, it's not the best movie in the world. It's not the worst movie in the world. It's just kind of a movie that's there. But I kind of enjoyed this. Granted, very predictable, somewhat, and too many jump scares. Like, okay, I'm all for, like, a good jump scare, you know? Uh, the Haunting of Hill House, I still think, to this day, has the best jump scare ever. But <laughs> there might be one or two other better ones out there. But the thing is, is that when you use it too much, it ruins the effect. Same with the whole idea of... The film I'm talking about, I should say, is The Curse of... La Llorna. I think I pronounced that right. Man, I hope I did. But anyways, it's a, uh, the James Wan film. It's part of the Conjuring universe, somewhat. Um, anyways, I watched that, and we see La Llorna. I know, I'm, say, I'm saying that wrong intentionally because I know I'm not going to get it right. <laughs> so I'm now really trying to butcher it. But anyways, um, we see like the spirit like too much. The, the weeping ghost as they call her like we see it too much by the end of the film it's like mm, okay like you're not creepy anymore because I've seen you for most of the film but anyways I still wanted to recommend it because I did enjoy the film even though like it was predictable too many jump scares and we do see the ghost too much but I'm not gonna lie it wasn't bad like I never lost interest with the film it's not too long like i i think it's just 
maybe about an hour and a half, I think, in that that time ball, like that ballpark figure there. So it's not bad. It, it, the time doesn't run too long. The music's really cool. The special effects look awesome. I'm not gonna. It, it's it's a James Wan film, you know. The effects are gonna look great. The the visuals are like amazing. It's got a nice creepy atmosphere. It's just the things that it does too much kind of ruin it. But all in all, it's not a bad movie. I thought I would recommend it for this week's Lurkers recommendation because I did enjoy it. Um, I'm not going to lie. And I, I, I was saying this to a couple friends yesterday as well. I'll say it here on the podcast. The thing with the Conjuring universe is the Conjuring films themselves are really fucking good. Conjuring 1 and 2 fucking amazing and i'm so looking forward to conjuring three but all the side films kind of like what i call the filler films you know to keep you you know to keep the diehard fans like you know give them something to watch while they wait for the the, the big heavy hitters movies like the annabelle films uh the nun this one they're okay they're it's not that they're bad films but they're filler films it's kind of like I, I was telling a friend like yesterday star wars is a good example when you have the star wars saga when you have your new hope empire strikes back and return of the jedi those are your heavy hitters you your prequilogy which sucked but anyways and then you have like the the new phase that were you know episodes seven eight nine right now going on and you have a lot of filler films in between you know back in the 80s and 90s we had like the the ewok films and whatnot um Currently in, in in this time frame, this era, we've had Rogue One and Solo, uh, films that people are gonna love them, people are gonna hate them, but they're they're just meant to be extra stories. And I kind of look at the the whole Conjuring universe in the same way, in that like the, this film, The Curse of La Llorna, I, I know I'm butchering it, I'm fucking horrible, but anyways. That film, uh, the Annabelle films, The Nun, whatnot, they're just, they're extras. You know what I mean? But the Conjuring films are the, are the heavy hitters. They're the ones that, you know, it, you want those ones to stick the landing. You want the hype on those films. And that's the way I kind of looked at this. Anyways, that's my Lurker's recommendation for the week. I don't want to talk a whole lot more because I want to get into this film. I want to talk about it and laugh about it because it's a laughable film. Uh, it's, this is not, a, a, you know, this is not The Exorcist. This is not Rosemary's Baby. This is um, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do that. Trailer drop, as we always do. And when we come back, we'll talk this movie. And, yeah. I think that's about it's that's all we need right i mean 50th episode i guess i could like use this episode to reflect back on the past you know the past 49 episodes which i might save that for the end of the episode but let's do the trailer back in a moment she took the keys to jumped in she went behind the stage with Cooper. All right, let's hear it for Mary Lou Maloney, the 1957 Hamilton High Prom Queen. Never mind the stupid K-Bone head, just give me the crown. This year, someone special is coming back to Hamilton High for prom night. Mary Lou Maloney. Mary Lou! She's been dead for 30 years. Now she's going to use Vicky's body 
to get her crown back. Good morning, Crown Queen. Only nominated, not the winner. Not yet. Mary Lamalmi has come back. Vicky. Wrong. You came with me. She will enter your body and possess you. See you later, alligator. On revenge. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom night two. So before we get into this week's movie review, a uh, quick note for fans of the band Ice Nine Kills, and if you are in the Windsor, Detroit area. It was announced this morning that November 26th, the band is playing at St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit. Uh, I'm only announcing this because I know that a lot of my friends, myself, whatnot, in this Windsor, Detroit area, we all love this band. And not to mention, it is technically horror-related because their latest album, The Silent Scream, all 13 tracks are about horror movies. And, I mean, you could even go back to every trick in the book because they also talked about, you know... Well, it was based on books, but the books of The Exorcist, Carrie, uh, you know, Go Ask Alice, which is kind of a creepy book in its way, in its own way, you know. Um, but anyways, yeah, so just wanted to announce that. But fuck all that shit now. It's time to move on to this movie, this sequel that, yes. Okay, so to preface all of this. Hello, Mary Lou Prom Night 2. I remember when the trailer first dropped. And this, I, I was a kid way back when, and I had I had just seen Prom Night, like the original Prom Night, possibly like maybe a couple months before this came out. Um, and I remember seeing the trailer going, what the fuck? Like, this has nothing to do with Prom Night. Well, that's because it technically really didn't. Um, it was never meant to be a Prom Night film. It's just one of it. it I'll explain it in a bit, but it's kind of like the whole Cloverfield thing. Um, so I'll explain that in a bit. But anyways, let's talk about Hello, Hello Mary Lou. Lou. Prom Night 2. Originally released October 16th, 1987. However, I believe it was in March of 1987. It did have its world premiere at the Cannes Festival. But fuck all that noise because it's, you know, wide release was October 16th, which was perfect. You know, a good horror movie to come out at Halloween, you know, right around that Halloween time and whatnot. It's awesome. That's the best time to release a horror movie, in my opinion. Any time in October, you're set. Directed by Bruce Pittman. Bruce Pittman is a director from Toronto, Ontario. I should announce that this movie is a Canadian horror film. Because us Canadians, we love our horror, and we love making horror. Um, But anyways, yes, uh, Bruce Pittman was from Toronto, Ontario. Uh, Obviously, he did this film, Prom Night 2. He did a lot of directing in TV, though. Um, One episode of The Twilight Zone, two episodes of the TV show Friday the 13th, not Jason Voorhees-related. 
for any of those. For for any of you who remember Friday the Thirteenth, the, the you know the series had nothing to do with Jason. It's kind of like that Halloween three, you know, that everybody hates. Yeah, fuck off. All right. Anyways, no. Uh, he also did two episodes of the Ray Bradbury Theater, three episodes of Earth Final Conflict, and one episode of Mutant X, um, and a whole lot of other stuff. But it, I, I more wanted to point out that Bruce Pittman, you know, he did this film, but he was a, he was a TV guy. He did a lot more in TV. Um, the movie, uh, the screenplay for Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night Two, written by Ron Oliver who also worked as a director on Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps. He also did the new Adams Family TV series, and he directed the uh, straight-to-video Prom Night 3, The Last Kiss, which Prom Night 3 is... Uh, okay, so if I remember correctly, Mary Lou Maloney in this film, uh, her character returns in Prom Night 3. It was the only character, I think, to ever like cross over from one film into the next. Because there are four Prom Night films, if you can believe that. Produced by Peter Simpson, with the help of Alana Frank, Peter Haley, and Ray Sager. Say, Sager? Sager? I think that's how it's pronounced. And all four names would also go on to produce... Prom Night 3. So they, you know, they obviously, they felt they had something with uh, Prom Night here. Uh, Prom Night 2, if I remember correctly, was actually the most successful of the four, if I'm remembering that right. Uh, Cinematography by John Herzog, who also worked on films like Mark of Cain, Humongous. (laughs) That made me laugh. American Nightmare. And uh, he was part of The Dead Zone, the the Stephen King film, um, well, not Stephen. Well, it was based on Stephen King's book, The Dead Zone. Um, he was an electrician. I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, oh, I'm gonna write that down because, like, you know, an electrician. I mean, I don't know. It, it's weird. It, I think it's awesome that they credit like everybody who helps on the film. But I always find some of those credits to be funny. Like, you know, like an electrician, and this person was like the caterer, and it's like, but it's cool that they give them credit. I, I think that's awesome. Uh, music by Paul Zaza. And, man, did he do a lot of movies I've seen. Uh, Prom Night, he did the original. He did My Bloody Valentine, Porky's, American Nightmare, Turk 182, A Christmas Story, Bob Clark classic there, Uh, Meatballs 3, Summer Job, Prom Night 3, he did this one, Prom Night 2. He also did Prom Night 4, so he stuck with the Prom Night series. Uh, He did the movie Popcorn, which is awesome. Iron Eagle 4. I honestly don't think I've seen that one. I've seen Iron Eagle 1 and 2 for sure. I think 3, but I do not remember seeing part 4. Uh, and then he did... This caught my attention. I was like, I need to see this movie. He did a TV movie that was known as Karate Dog, which was directed by Bob Clark and starred Chevy Chase and Pat Morita. I needed to see this fucking movie. I've never seen this. I was like, Karate Dog? This sounds like it's right up my fucking alley. Um, okay, so our starring cast. Time to talk about the actors in this film. So, Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside is the big name that was attached to this film. He was the, you know, the the star that would pull the people into the theaters. Michael Ironside is Bill Nordham. And you guys, fuck, if you don't know who Michael Ironside is, you may, might want to have your head checked. But, I mean, he's been in movies like Scanners, Top Gun, 
Total Recall. He was uh, in V, The Final Battle, the miniseries there. And I believe he was in the series that followed that as well for a while. Uh, the movie Turbo Kid, that's a kick-ass fucking movie. Uh, the movie 88, which is sort of a, um, an underrated, not-so-well-known film, but it uh, it starred Catherine Isabel and Christopher Lloyd. And Michael Ironside was part of that as well. Uh, he was in Terminator Salvation, which I actually don't mind that film. I know a lot of people are like, eh, you know, Terminator 3 and 4, and obviously Genesis sucked ass. But, I mean, I, I know that a lot of people, you know, stop at, like, T2, and they're like, okay, that was, you know, where it was good. I personally, I didn't mind Salvation. I thought it was pretty good. He was also in The Machinist. Oh, geez, Michael Ironside working with Christian Bale again. Um he was the voice, uh, this is awesome, of course, he, everyone knows this, but Michael Ironside, the voice of Darkseid, you know, in the Justice League TV series, Superman, Superman animated series, well, fuck, you know, pretty much most of the DCAU. Um, he was in Highlander 2, and I wrote in, bra- in quotes, ha 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 Highlander 2, yeah, we all love that movie, don't we? Um, Michael Ironside was also part of Heavy Metal 2000. He was in Smallville, etc., etc. You get the point. He's been in a lot of shit. And he's awesome. But yeah, a Highlander too. God. For me, personally, I, I and I know there's some people have told me, watch the Highlander series, whatever. For me, the Highlander stopped at the first one. I don't I don't think of any of the sequels. I don't follow the TV series, nothing. It's the first film and I'm done. But it is what it is. Um, so moving on, our lead female, Wendy Leon, as Vicky Carpenter. She did not do a lot of work. Uh, this is probably her biggest um, biggest live action uh, piece of work, I would say. However, I mean, she was voice actor on Sailor Moon. Um, and yes, her. there's two cast members on here. Uh, Wendy Leon is one of them, who was a voice actor on Sailor Moon. Uh, she was on, uh, other work she's done was uh, one episode of the Friday the 13th TV series. I had to keep mentioning that. And recently, though, she was in The Shape of Water. She played a secretary in that uh, the Guillermo del Toro uh, classic flick there with a weird sex scene. But um, all right. Luis Ferreira, who, however, when he was in this film, he went by the name of Justin Lewis. That's how he was casted. Uh, he plays Craig Nordham. A lot of work he did. He's done a lot of work. He had roles on the Friday the 13th TV series. I had to. He, he, I believe he was in two episodes, and he had two separate roles, so it was kind of weird. Uh, he was in David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch. Uh, Monster Force TV series, the 1995 Canadian film Blood and Donuts. Uh, he had a role on uh, the show Millennium with Lance Henriksen. Uh, he was on The Outer, Outer Limits, Star Trek Voyager, Mutant X, 24. And he was also in Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake. And for a good laugh, because fuck, when I saw this, I was like, man, I have to add this. He played Donald Trump. In a TV movie called Trump Unauthorized. Yeah, awesome. You played Donald Trump. There's something to keep on your resume. All right, moving on. Our Mary Lou Maloney, uh, played by a woman, an actress by the name of Lisa Schrage. Or it's Schrage, but 
I have a feeling it's a French uh, a French pronunciation that I'm not going to get right. So it's Shrig. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, not a lot of acting to her uh, career. She was in Al- Alfred Hitchcock's uh, show. Al- well, Alfred Hitchcock presents. Um, she was ha- uh, one episode, I think, on the Twilight Zone, and she was in the movie Gnaw Food of the Gods too. Which, for those of you who don't know what that movie is, it's a movie about a giant, like, giant man-eating rats. Yep. Um, so, yeah, she, uh, she did a lot of great, great roles. Um, Richard Monet, or Monet, as Father Cooper. I, I'm going to say this right now before I go any further. I apologize for all the butchering of names I've been doing today. I don't know why, but it, it I'm half French and when it comes to French names I suck so I apologize for that but I believe his name is Richard Monet he plays Father Cooper and he passed away in 2008 in his home in uh, London Ontario he was born in Montreal Uh, some TV work but he wasn't um, uh, he didn't do a lot of acting Uh, he was in shows like TNT uh, Street Legal Night Heat Alfred Hitchcock uh, presents. So, I don't know. He, Father Cooper was probably his biggest role that he's done. So, All right. So, Terry Hawks as Kelly Henenlotter. And this is, uh, I said about Wendy Leone doing voice acting for Sailor Moon. This is Sailor Moon. Terry Hawks, she voiced the character of Sailor Moon in all the English dubs of the shows and the animated films. That came out, you know, uh, in the, the 90s, even I think some of the early 2000s. She did a lot of them. Uh, she also did voice acting for a lot of the Care Bears um, animated movies and the, the TV series, the Care Bears family. Um, she was the voice of Polaris in the X-Men, uh, the, animated episode, the animated series episode of Enter Magneto. She was Franny on the show Quads. Um the only other like really prominent live acting uh, role that I saw that she did was uh, she was in the movie Cube Zero, which is the prequel to the uh, cult hit Cube. Uh, Cube is an excellent film, by the way. Uh, Cube Zero, I actually have on DVD. Do you know I still haven't watched it? So it's uh, on the pile. It will be watched. But yeah, Terry Hawks is technically Sailor Moon. So when I was talking about Wendy Leon doing you know voice acting in Sailor Moon, well... Terry Hawks is your Sailor Moon. So Brock Simpson. Brock Simpson is an actor in this film. The uh, He plays Josh. I'm going to say that now. But the, the really cool thing about Brock Simpson is this is the only actor to be in all four of the Prom Night films. All four of them. The original all the way to all three sequels and everything. In each one, though, he plays a different character. In Prom Night 1, he played nick as a young boy uh in this one he plays josh then he played a character by the name of larry in prom night three and he plays father colin in or father colin in prom night four only actor to be in all four of them um so i thought that was kind of cool i mean he plays josh in this josh i believe is like the weird kid who's got like the science project at the beginning of the film and whatnot and he's you know boring the teacher in the class and whatnot i believe that's him he's where's this funky yellow 
jacket in the film. It's kind of fucking funny. But anyways, um, so yeah, that's who he he's Josh in this one. Uh, Beverly Beverly Hendry as Monica Waters. Um, she was in the TV series The Highlander, actually. Also, uh, MacGyver. Street Justice, 21 Jump Street, The Commish. Again, another TV actor. I find that a lot of... And I don't know if it's Canadian films or if it's just a lot of the films I've been reviewing for this podcast. A lot of TV actors in these movies. Um, you know, you don't... It, it, it's It's got to be just the films I'm picking, to be honest. But I don't know. Whatever. Um Finally, uh, Beth Gondek as Jess Browning. And again, not a whole lot of acting, but she was in movies like Screwballs 2, uh, Dead Leaves, The Night of Scarlet Terror, and The Last Movie. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention when I was saying, you know, some of the cast names and whatnot, but many of the characters in this movie, and there's a lot of uh, actors I didn't credit because I could... the cast for this goes on quite long. So I did the main ones we needed and that was that. But many of the characters in this movie all had last names that belong to horror film directors. And if you think about Carpenter, Hen and Lauder, um, Browning, and then you also have, there's a teacher that's known as uh, Mr. Craven. Um, names like Dante, as in like Joe Dante, Wood, Ed Wood, uh, there's an O'Bannon, a King, a Romero, Waters, Monica Waters. I mentioned her. Uh, these are all last names that belong to horror directors. This was done intentionally for this film. So I, I know, like, I didn't go through the whole, uh, like, cast, uh, you know, cast of characters and whatnot. But I wondered if when I said Kelly Hennenlauter, if anybody actually caught on that, hey, wait a minute, we have a Carpenter, we have a Hennenlauter. You know, and then Waters and Browning as well. Uh, you know, anyways, I, it's kind of cool. I, I'll give them that much. It, it's a cool concept, cool idea. You know, give a little tribute to all these awesome directors that came before this. The budget for the film was estimated at one point five to two million. Uh, domestic gross was two point seven million. Movie was filmed in Toronto and Edmonton, and the runtime is 97 minutes. And now it's synopsis time. So we're going to have fun with the synopsis as I've been doing lately. And, you know, I trying to bring some more creative element to, to the podcast. You know, it, looking back on the past 49 episodes, you know, it's been a, it's been a growth. It's been a learning experience and it's, now I'm doing synopsises and I'm trying to do them really cool. So hopefully I don't fuck this up. Last week, I think it was last episode I did. I didn't fuck it up at all. So we're going to try this again. I've practiced this a bit, but hey, every time I practice shit, it never... <laughs> I should stop practicing and just do it like, you know, on the spur of the moment kind of thing. But anyways, so the synopsis for Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2 is this. Beautiful and innocent Vicky Carpenter seems a shoe-in for prom queen. But Mary Lou Maloney, dead for 30 years, also wants the crown and returns from the grave to possess Vicky's body. After tormenting and brutally butchering Vicky's friends, Mary Lou successfully transports panic-stricken Vicky into a hellish purgatory. With the competition out of the way, 
hell-bent and armed with deadly powers, Mary Lou's got places to go, people to kill, and a crown to win. And that's basically it. Yes. So that's your synopsis. It's uh, a possession film, I guess you would say, kind of. Uh, Possession horror. Kind of an homage kind of horror. Um, So... My notes, my notes, my thoughts, different trivia things, shit like that. Uh, I, I think I'm going to start calling the segment Notes from the Beyond. You know, maybe it's kind of too much. I don't know. Get back to me. Let me know what you think. Maybe Notes from the Beyond. But anyways, so this movie was uh, written and filmed as The Haunting of Hamilton High. It was meant to be a standalone film, was not meant to be part of the Prom Night franchise. Uh, However, they changed the name to Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2 when the Samuel Goldwyn Company, uh, they were the ones that purchased it and decided, you know what, let's cash in on this whole, like, like prom thing, you know, this prom night thing and whatnot. So they they made it a sequel. Uh, The whole whole idea, like the similarities, uh, for example, like there's the it's not who you go with, it's who takes you home kind of thing. I uh, believe that was said in the original Prom Night, and it was said in this. Uh, the uh, The name of the school, Hamilton High, was in both Prom Night and Prom Night 2. Those were supposedly coincidental. Um, I guess when the, the script or the screenplay was being written, it was just pure coincidence. That's kind of a coincidence, if you ask me, being they're both Canadian films, both filmed in Toronto, and both had, like, that exact idea to them but eh, whatever so if we're comparing it to modern day times i consider prom night 2 kind of like the whole cloverfield thing where like you have uh what is it uh 10 cloverfield lane and the cloverfield paradox two films that technically were not part of the cloverfield universe but they get like you know a few little seconds strapped onto them that will tie them into the universe but technically they're not part of that universe or i mean another way you could look at it is this kind of like halloween 3 was when you know we had halloween 1 and 2 were about michael myers and then halloween 3 came out and john carpenter had this whole idea of like an anthology kind of thing but this is kind of not that as well because you know it was supposed to be the haunting of hamilton high it wasn't supposed to have anything to do with prom night where like halloween 3 was supposed to just you know be like a whole anthological kind of series kind of thing like it was supposed to like be the second part of that i guess so i don't know uh i mean we all know due to fan disapproval that shit never happened and halloween 3 is one of its kind uh, all by itself lonely but amazing it's a fucking great movie and i don't care if you do if you disagree with me kiss my ass all right so steve atkinson plays the young Bill Nordum and Michael Ironside plays the uh, you know the present day version. Uh, really cool how like well they both looked like each other, and it wasn't. This was one of two times that they actually worked together. I guess they also worked together in a movie called Minefield uh, in 1989. Um, they both played the character Kellen. I don't know. I honestly don't recall seeing Minefield. I might have, but it's it's not ringing any bells. So, but uh, I will say, okay. So when it comes to the acting in this film, 
it's really not that great. Uh, Wendy Leon and Lisa, Lisa Schrag are probably the two standouts. Michael Ironside is decent as well, but he's not used as much. Like, it's kind of weird. He gets top billing. He gets he's the first name credited, but it's it's Wendy Leon that's actually like the the real main character of the film. So again, it's the whole idea of let's throw the big name out there first, so you know we get everyone's attention, kind of thing. But I mean, because Michael Ironside in the '80s was pretty much like you know huge name and whatnot. So I get it. But um, it, it's the the two the two women, uh, Vicky and Mary Lou, are like the two standouts. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, like Mary Lou, like when they show her in like the '50s and whatnot, she's kind of cute. I'm not gonna lie. Um, the fashions in this movie, oh god. Okay, so <laughs> this movie's kind of like the '80s, making fun of the '50s, and like here in 2019, we would make fun of the '80s fashions that are like it. In this film, because like, holy shit, some of the some of the fashions, like I was saying about like the character of Josh, like he wears like this, like, like yellow suit coat. And it just it's like it. You can't miss it. Let's put it that way. But I mean, like, it just it's like, fuck, goddamn 80s, man. All them drugs people were doing and shit. No, I don't know. Um, The drugs today are fucking people's heads up. So what am I talking about? But I don't know. The fashion is definitely 80s that's for sure um now an interesting like okay i'll use the character of uh jess for example like um she she looks like a color version like a, a, a like a rainbow version of Susie sue of Susie and the banshees you know if for those of you who know who, like Susie sue is like you know she was like you know she's considered like the goth mother of like goth music and whatnot that's what they call her the goth mother she was like you know she had like the wild hair, but she wore all black all the time. Everything was always in black. And she was in her later years, she became very sexy looking. But Jess, however, is like the earlier version of Susie Sue, but she's every color in the rainbow. She's like your purples and your greens and all this other stuff. But she's got that wild hair. It's like she used a lot of hairspray. Let's put it that way. Um, and okay, while I'm on the topic of Jess. I might as well talk about something that has always bothered me about this movie. So Jess, Jess Browning, and her last name is you know supposed to be like Todd Browning, whatever. Um, so anyways, her death, she's killed by the spirit of Mary Lou. Here's what bothers me about it. So it's supposed to be staged to look like a suicide. At one point, even like you know the the characters in the in the film even say, "Oh, Jess killed herself last night." Okay, so. If it's supposed to be staged to look like a suicide, which, okay, I, I'm, all, I'm all right with this. It's kind of like um, Rod in Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, when Freddy, like, hung him in the cell. But here's the thing. So she's, she supposedly hangs herself, and that's the suicide, right? Okay. But there's no chair around that you could have, like, kicked away or anything. And, like, I mean, she's, like, hanging from, like, a fluorescent light, which I don't know how that would work too well. But... Here's the thing. So she hangs herself and we see in the scene like she's dead. There's no oxygen left in her body. She's she's killed herself. She's dead. But then she gets flung out a window. And you would think like, I mean, we the audience, we know it's Mary Lou who killed her. But the people in the story wouldn't know that. But here's the thing. You're trying to tell me that like because they have to determine cause of death, right? So a coroner's report would be done, which would show that she was strangled to death. 
but then she ends up, she's crashed out the window. So if she's strangled to death, but they find her outside, crashed out a window, you would assume that the strangulation came from murder and not from suicide. It's one of those things that is, even at, even at my like youngest age watching this, I was like, that totally doesn't make sense. I get what they were trying to do. It's almost in a little way like an homage to Nightmare on Elm Street. I get that. That's kind of cool. But in Nightmare on Elm Street, when the cops found Rod, he was hanging in the cell. He wasn't flung out a window. So they, them assuming that he committed suicide, it made sense. This, however, she's crashed out a window. How the fuck is it suicide then? Like, I don't know. And, and, and that's that's one thing about this film. When you're watching it, it you have to understand there the, there's a supernatural element to this. Uh, it definitely has a Carrie and a Nightmare on Elm Street vibe go, going to it. Um, I mean, they didn't hide it. Let's put it that way. They, they were not hiding what they were ripping off of. Um, I was, and you know, when I was like doing my research and whatnot, I read like reviews where people said this movie was confusing. I'm confused how they got confused. Here's my thing. The, the whole idea of this film is the spirit of Mary Lou is possessing the body of Vicki Carpenter so that she can win crown for the prom that she feels she was robbed of in the 50s. How is this hard to follow? That's, I, I don't understand. Like, okay, yes, the killings, well, the killings might seem excessive, but then again, what's the point of calling it a horror film if people don't fucking die? So, <laughs> so it's like, how did, how did people not get what this movie was about? It's pretty straightforward. Vicky opens up some trunk. The spirit of Mary Lou comes out, possesses her body, and she wants her prom queen crown, whatever. I don't know. It, 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 I, I give I give credit to Wendy Leone, who's who, who her acting is amazing in this because you got to keep in mind she's playing the character of Vicky Carpenter, who's becoming like Mary Lou. She does a very solid job of portraying the transition. And when you see at the beginning of the film, you see Lisa Schrag's version of Mary Lou Maloney, and you see that Vicky becomes that. Wendy Leone did a, an amazing job of that. Some of her dialogue, I'm not going to lie, the dialogue in this movie is weak. It, it, it was not well thought out. It's, it's not very natural it doesn't come out natural there, there's times where it's forced exposition and whatnot but the the scenes where vicky is becoming first confused and then possessed by mary lou maloney uh she does a great job of portraying that and at the same time it's Again, another throwback to A Nightmare on Elm Street where it's like the whole idea of the dream world versus the real world in Nightmare on Elm Street. When she's doing her transformation, she gets very confused as to like, why did I draw this picture of Mary Lou? Why is it after I slap my one friend, I see Mary Lou's face? And like, it's kind of the whole what is reality, what isn't kind of thing going on. Very well done. And then you have like the Carrie kind of references. Uh, Judy Mobby plays um, Vicky's mother. And fuck, she re- she's definitely the uh, Laurie, uh, Piper Laurie ver- uh, ca- character in Carrie. You know, the mother that was like, they're all going to laugh at you. Um, yeah, she she's definitely that religious psycho in, in this film. Like Judy Mobby is as uh, Vicky's mother. Uh, I can't remember. It's... 
I can't remember what her name was. Fuck. But anyways, uh, she, <laughs> she really nails the character well. Her acting is really fucking good. But the, the one part that makes me laugh, okay, so when... When Kelly, uh, when when they're playing volleyball in the movie, and Kelly throws the the volleyball at Vicky's head and knocks her unconscious, and then you know Vicky's brought home, and the mother is like, "Oh, what happened?" And you know they explain, you know she she had a volleyball accident. It's all right. She's all good. And she's like, "Oh well, um, Vicky just needs time with the Lord that he'll be able to heal her and all this stuff." And it's so cringeworthy, but it's like, wow, you like you're really hamming out the fucking carry feel to this at the moment. But I, I always laugh because like even as a kid, I was always like, yeah, because I'm pretty sure God's all like, yeah, oh shit, Vicky got hit with a fucking volleyball. Uh, better spirit my ass over there right away and heal her up so Mary Lou can possess this bitch. Like, um, no, <laughs> like I don't know. It, it, it's it's just one of those things where it adds the humor, I guess. Like as much as you like hate the mother at the same time, it's so humorous. It's like, really bitch. Like you, you honestly think that like, Oh, well, you know, she got bonked in the head with a volleyball. She's not dying. Like, I don't know. Uh, creepy scenes, creepy scenes, the weird rocking horse scene with that tongue that comes out of the rocking horse, which again, throwback to nightmare on Elm street with the tongue that came out of the phone. But anyways, I'm not going to lie. That, that, that scene is really kind of creepy. It works really well. And that's also the scene where we see like the hands coming out of the mirror and it's like the mirror is like got like the water effect. Almost reminds me of something like out of the Matrix when like Neo's looking in the mirror and he like touches it and he be- the mirror starts becoming him and whatnot. Um, which I got to say, the effects in this movie are great. The 80s practical effects. Am I right? Like you can't go wrong with the effects in this movie, which two names kind of stood out when I was looking at the, the special effects department, uh, who was responsible for it. There were two names that stood out, Jim Doyle, who worked on the original nightmare on Elm street and Friday, the 13th part seven. He also worked on the nutty professor with Eddie Murphy. And if you've seen that, you know, a lot of special effects went into that. And William guest who again, also worked on the original nightmare on Elm street, as well as star Trek, the motion picture Beastmaster. And Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. The thing is, is when you're watching this film and you see the special effects, they're practical effects. It's it's the 80s, so I mean, you know, it does what it does. And but you see those two names, and it's like they both worked on the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and you can see it, you can feel it, um, especially with that rocking horse and like just like how it almost comes to life, sort of like. Um, like Chucky in the original Child's Play, how he he went from being looking like a kid's doll to demonic doll, and how they just were able to tweak the doll enough that it you could tell the difference. That's what they kind of did with this um, this rocking horse, and that scene is like really fucking cool. Um, uh, just a few things left to mention: um, Wendy Leone again playing Vicky Carpenter does an amazing job. The nude scene. Okay, so if you've seen this film, full nude, uh, top to bottom, you know, head to toe, you see all of it, full frontal nudity. Um, that was not supposed to happen, <laughs> according to the script. Um, when Ron Oliver was writing the script, when he, you know, he he had the whole thing, the screenplay was all ready to go and whatnot. When they filmed it, and then he saw the film, uh, he was apparently shocked. Because that was not intended. Um, 
and they went with it. And I not it's the 80s again, 80s nudity in horror films was very, very common. Um, it's still somewhat common today, but it's not as you pretty much watch an 80s horror film, you know, you're gonna see tits and ass somewhere. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Um, where today it's not so much. But yeah, that was uh, never supposed to uh, happen in the film. So, and uh, they went with it. And I, it worked, obviously. There's fans that always talk about that part of the film. So, and one thing I did forget to mention uh, in talking about like how this had a very much like a carry feel to it, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Also, The Exorcist, a blatant ripoff, I might add. With the whole part of the the power of Christ compels you. Like there's the, oh, a whole scene with that where like the priest is like you know trying to get the spirit of Mary Maloney out of Vicky Carpenter, and she's like the he's like the power of Christ compels you. I'm like, God damn it! Could you rip off The Exorcist more blatantly? However, this movie, I'm not gonna lie, it's fun as shit. Uh, it makes it obvious what it's stealing from no doubt about it but it is a fun movie so imdb current rating i believe for this is 5.6 out of 10 usually goes up one or two marks every now and then but it's roughly in the 5.6 out of 10 uh range rotten tomatoes 36 percent approval rating not too many people like this same with metacritic Metacritic has it at 48% uh, approval rating, so not that good. However, when I was, you know, doing my research and whatnot, I love off to the side when it says, like, you know, what Google users like, and 91% of Google users like this film. (laughs) Okay, so thanks for telling me that, Google. Um, So some of the response that it got, uh, this was an interesting one, actually. So Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times he gave the film a positive review. You don't see many of those. Uh, but he gave it a positive review, but compared it to Blue Velvet. Okay. <laughs> but I like the way he approached it. He said, you don't have to take Mary Lou at all seriously. You don't. And you know what? I'll, I'll admit. If you go into this with the mindset of it's a hokey 80s supposed slasher possession kind of film, whatever, just treat it as it is. It's, it's a B movie. And I mean, like he, he even said in his quote, like, you know, don't take it seriously. It would be a mistake to do so. And that is exactly it. Don't don't take it seriously. Uh, it's you know, it's not something like a David Lynch film is like basically what he said. And I have to agree with that. Um, but it's 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 genre film. It's, it's a genre film. It's B movie. It's what it's supposed to be with a bit of imagination thrown into it. And obviously some blatant ripping off. Uh, <laughs> now there was also a review in TV guide that gave the film one out of five stars said the special effects were great. Pittman's direction was great, but the film was all too predictable. Now I will say this. Yes. I think I'm kind of in that same ballpark as TV guide. I'll give it a bit more deserving of a rating higher than one out of five stars, but I think I'm on the same line. I enjoy that the fact, like I enjoy the fact that this film is, it's mocking the idea of prom queen. And I love that. I, I think that is, it, it, it's, it's funny. I like that they do this because there's definitely a hint of dark comedy in this film. 
especially towards the whole stupidity of the prom queen idea. I've always thought it was stupid, you know, like, oh, like, let's have this competitive self-absorbed belligerence, you know, over who should be the best of the best. Who's the best female here? Um, And then we wonder why people have self-esteem issues when they get older. But I mean, the whole idea of prom queen to me seemed like an embarrassment. It seemed like it was a joke. Like, yes, let's put a crown on you because you're the prettiest of the, of the group. Fuck you. Like, and I love that this film, in its own subtle way, is like it, it's not afraid to point the finger and laugh in, in in that face, like to to basically say, "Look, you're you're so obsessed with being a fucking prom queen. You've gone to this level of murder and possession just so you can have a fucking fake crown put on your fucking head." Like I love that it, it it's not afraid to to push that boundary and to just make fun of something that society seems like it's always accepted as just being fucking normal um the the effects in this movie are decent the dialogue is definitely adolescent um and the acting is subpar i mean you have like i said like wendy leone and lisa schrake are about the the only two that really stand out as being good actors in this michael ironside's not bad but he's not used a lot it's kind of like john lithgow in the pet cemetery remake why'd you bring him in if you're barely going to use him but the themes and the low-key humor are what make the movie enjoyable for me, despite its flaws. My podcast zero rating for this film, 5.5 out of 10. It's 5.5 out of 10. Um, for, what, for what could be in, you know, in these current times, it, you know, we, we call it like the Cloverfield sequel kind of thing, where it's like, you know, it wasn't really a sequel, but hey, let's shoo in 30 seconds to make it work, you know, kind of idea. It, it's a five and a half, five and a half out of 10, predictable, unoriginal, but amusing. And I love that dark humor. I love the fact that it's, it's not afraid to give the middle finger to the whole idea of the prom queen. And for me, that that's, that's something that I think is really awesome with this movie. And that's why I had to do it. I enjoy it. I love that Joe Bob Briggs did it on the last drive-in for his, uh, like basically his final episode of the se- of the first season. And I love that they gave like Darcy her own prom. That was kind of cool and whatnot. But I've always loved the fact that this this movie was not afraid to like make fun of something that is just so accepted in society. And it's like, why? It, it's stupid, but it's society and whatever. And on that note, thank you for listening. Ha-ha! It's over. The 50th episode is now officially coming to a close. 50 episodes, guys. Um it's been awesome it's been fun it's been a bit of a learning experience i mean you go back to those first episodes it's not that they're bad sounding or anything but i've changed a few things along the way and i'm learning different things doing different things i uh i'm looking forward to what the next 50 episodes are gonna bring and i'm already working on some ideas and whatnot especially for the month of october i want to I want to do it right this year uh, you know the month of october and have some fun with it and whatnot so i have some uh some free time coming up to me pretty soon so i plan on putting a little bit of work into this i'm trying to keep up especially on the facebook page a lot been posting a lot more and whatnot trying to you know keep the flow going got to work on some things still but it, it it's nice i hit episode 50 and uh and for those of you who have stuck with it, you know, from the beginning to now, thank you so much. That's awesome. And uh, so let's do the where to find the show 
all the social media shit and you know I'll reveal next episode and then after that it'll be uh, we'll call it quits how's that sound not that you can answer me but how's that sound alright how do you feel about that alright so where to find the show well you can find it through iTunes Google Spotify or the Next Level Network yes you can go to the nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero episodes are all there have fun listen to whichever one you want you know listen to this one listen to you know episode one episode one way back when when you know i talked about gremlins with my sister you know so it'd be kind of cool check it out uh so you can also find the podcast at what lurks behind podcast zero.com um you can email email what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com you know feel free i, I check the emails every day it's a lonely, vast, barren little desert, but I do check it. <laughs> um, on social media, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero. Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero. On Twitter, Twitter, I haven't been using Twitter much lately. I know it's horrible of me, right? But it's still there at what lurks. Uh, well, actually, it's at WLB podcast underscore zero. Um, Redbubble guys want to wear like a nice shirt that says you know what lurks behind podcast zero you know i've got some cool designs and whatnot there's stickers there's coffee cups and whatnot you can make you can get pillows i think you know there's like pillows with the logo and whatnot anyways go to redbubble.com slash people slash podcast zero and that's pretty much that um so next episode reveal and then we'll close out with a song i don't think i have to announce the song i'm pretty sure you guys will know what it is so i'm not i'll leave that surprise for you guys but the next episode so next episode is a disney movie Ooh, that's kind of weird um but no it's it's a listener request it's a listener request it's a sci-fi flick um one of disney's more quote-unquote mature films um uh, so and it oh, and it stars everyone's favorite Norman fucking Bates, uh, starring Anthony Perkins in the film uh, from 1979, The Black Hole, which was a listener request request no request um, <laughs> by Keith Bowerman, who uh, for those of you who know is also a member of the Next Level Network. He threw this one at me like a while back. He was like, he's like, I always wondered what your thoughts would be on the black hole, and I was like. Let's do it. Uh, I haven't seen this movie in years, too, so it's going to be nice to watch it again and, you know, uh, revisit it. But that's that. So, hey, all right, thank you so much for listening. Man, you know, (laughs) a couple weeks ago, I think I I talked about how, like, I struggle with openings to podcasts. I also struggle with the closings of them. Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. See, learning, learning curves, right? So... Maybe within the next 50 episodes, I learn how to close out an episode properly. Um, but anyways, thank you for listening, everyone. It's time for me to stop babbling and play some music. And next episode, The Black Hole from 1979. And that's it. Ciao for now, kids. Mary Lou, we know.
Leave me.